Hello and welcome to Living Hope. This is Pastor Staten, and I want to welcome everybody that is joining us today. A shout out to our E family, all of you that are joining us through the internet. I want to remind you every Sunday morning at 11 o'clock, you can join us live at tv.livinghopemd.com. I pray that today's message blesses you and that you enjoy the word as it is shared today. I'm too lost to be found, and I know it's in my mind. Hallelujah, let's lift our hands all over the building and give God praise. Do you feel that way? David said, I'd rather spend one door one day as a doorkeeper in the house of God than to spend a thousand years elsewhere. Amen. One day in the house of the Lord, one day in the presence of God is better than anywhere else I could be. Hallelujah, just to be in your presence, God. Hallelujah, yes, Lord, to be surrounded by your glory. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Amen, I believe, I believe when we get to heaven, it shouldn't feel strange to us. It shouldn't be like the first time we've ever felt that. I believe the glory of God that we feel when we're together, we're gonna get to heaven and feel, and now it's gonna be on a different level, but it's gonna feel a lot like what we feel in the house of God when we lift our hands together and we begin to glorify God and that peace that passes understanding enters in. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. In fact, I want us to bow our heads together. I don't do this often. This is more of a bishop state move than a, than a pastor state move, but I want to sing a song. And Brother Dre, if we need to, we can do it a cappella. That's what my dad always said. I don't even know what a cappella means. We could try it. But I want us to pray. I want us to sing this song. Oh, it's peace, peace, wonderful peace coming down from the Father above. Sweep over my spirit forever, I pray in fathomless billows of love. Come on, if you need peace today, why don't we sing, oh, it's peace. Could you pray with somebody nearby you as we sing? Lord, we need that peace. Lord, we need that peace. Your wonderful peace coming down from the Father above. Sweet
hands and let that peace of God, let that peace of God enter into our hearts and minds. Thank you, Jesus, for peace that passes understanding. That, Lord, when everything that we see and everything that we hear and everything going on around us should bring turmoil, and yet in the midst of it all, we find that place of perfect peace in the name of Jesus. God, we need your peace today, Lord. I pray let the peace of God, let the peace of God today, Lord, let it prevail in this place, God. Let it sweep down into this room, oh God, every troubled heart. Hallelujah, every troubled mind, oh God. I ask you right now to let your peace saturate us in the name of Jesus. Let your peace, oh God, invade the turmoil, the doubt, the fear, the anxiety, the worry and confusion in the name of Jesus. And we give you thanks, Lord. We give you thanks for your peace in Jesus' name. Hallelujah, 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 hallelujah. give God some praise across this room. He is the giver of peace. The Bible describes it as a peace that passes all understanding. Amen. He is the only source of peace. Amen. There's a lot of things in this world can give that can give us a sense of hope. Amen. And maybe a sense even of security. But only God can give peace. Amen. Amen. I want to I'm going to ask Brother Roberts, if he would, to just come and testify and greet the congregation. I know that we have been heavily in prayer for him, and I believe this is an answered prayer that we're that we see today. We're so thankful. We love Brother Roberts. Well, praise the Lord, living hope. It is sure good to be in the house of the Lord. Come on, there's no place. I'd rather be. Should I tell the testimony? Well, a few days ago, I, uh, I had a little experience, and I was laying in a hospital room and wasn't doing very good, and a lady came in, and she said, we need to have a discussion. She said, uh, you're in really bad shape. I said, I know. I think y'all are trying to kill me. More truth to that than you know. They had me on this big forced air thing just pumping as I could hardly breathe. They were pumping so much air into me. And she said, Mr. Roberts, I think it's time we have a discussion about putting you on a ventilator. And I'm going to be honest, that fear began to grip me. And I said, uh, I'm, I'm not ready for that. I have a lot of horror stories about the ventilator. And I said, I, I, can't, I can't do that. And she said, well, she said, that, that's where we are. And I said, well, I, I don't feel like we're there yet. She said, I'm having this discussion because you're about three hours away. She said, you walked in here 
and your oxygen was high, she says, now I've got the most air I can force on you and you can barely breathe. And I said, ma'am, I'm not ready for that. And we began to get a little bit adversarial. And I knew there were hundreds and hundreds of people that were praying for me and probably thousands. And I said, ma'am, do you do you have a Bible? And she said, no, I, I don't have a Bible. I said, have you ever heard the story of Daniel and the Hebrew boys? And she said, no, I don't think I have. I said, listen, I said, you can't put me on a respirator. She said, We're not a, we, we don't have a choice. I said, no, you don't understand. If you put me on a respirator, you take the power of faith away and you put everything in your hands. She said, oh, Mr. Roberts, it's okay. We're going to put you asleep, and we'll wake you up a couple times a day and check on you and make sure you're okay, and we're going to force air into your lungs. I said, you're not getting it. I said, those Hebrew boys went down into captivity, and they told them they need to eat this and this and the king's meat. I said, and Daniel said, if you give us give us what we normally eat and you take that king's meat we'll be better than they are I said ma'am if you just take me off of this thing and put me on regular oxygen I'll get better in Jesus name she said she said you don't understand COVID I said no no I said you don't understand my Jesus I said you told me three hours I I said, you said I'm three hours away. I'm asking you to give me those three hours. Take this thing off of me. She put a regular oxygen on me and turned it all the way to max. And I began texting Pastor, and I said, I don't know. My next trip to Living Hope might be my last. We were planning my funeral. I was talking about what I wanted at my funeral. And I said, wait a minute. I'm not like them. I'm not. No, no. I'm I'm a child of God. And it began to... right out of the blue Bishop texted me a song he sent me a U2 I don't I got five songs in my playlist that aren't got James Wilson's name on I don't and Bishop sent me a song that says this is the air that we breathe and I turned that song on and I laid over on my, she said, you got to get on your belly and you got to breathe and you got to work those lungs. And I began to pray and I began to listen to that song and I could feel the prayers of people. And I said, you know what? I'm telling you, Jesus did the work. I said, I'm not, I can't take faith out of that. And every, those nurses, My oxygen started improving. My breathing got better. Two days, they took me out of ICU and said, you go back in a regular room. Every nurse came. Those nurses started ducking me. Every time they came in, I said, that oxygen's too high. You got to turn it down. 
She said, no, no. I said, no, 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 it's too high. I said, watch. And I would breathe and breathe and breathe. And I was tearing those lungs back open. And I would get that oxygen up to 95. She said, you can't do that. I said, turn me down. They wouldn't, she wouldn't even talk to me about it. I'm telling y'all something. You, we are not like everybody else. When you got the name of Jesus, when you're under the blood, it ain't over. Come on. You just got to lift up the name. The air that I breathe is not just the physical air. It's the power of an almighty God. I don't feel like I'm special, but I know that when God walked in that room, he made a difference. Hallelujah. We're not like everybody else. Don't put me on that machine. I, I can't operate in faith if I'm on that machine. Somebody right now, you don't have to be threatened with the machine to realize that you operate in faith. Amen. We've got enough faith to look at that mountain and say, be cast into yonder sea and it shall be done. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Amen. Amen. I, I was sitting in Brother Robert's living room earlier this week, the day that he came home and he told me that story. I said, well, I don't want to have to go through what you went through, but man, I wish I was able to preach that. And that, that, that's, that right there is going to preach some sermons where people are going to get victory, where people's faith is going to be renewed and restored. Amen. Amen. We walk by faith. Amen. Amen. I want us to turn our Bibles. I'm going to have brother Wilson come and greet us. And, uh, and then we're going to turn to Acts chapter. So you can be seated for a moment. Just turn in your Bibles. We're going to read two portions of Scripture in Acts chapter 14 first and then in Isaiah chapter 50. Amen. And uh, we're so glad to have Sister Carly Wilson with us today. Our first time to be able to call her Carly Wilson. Amen. But we love uh, Carly is, I think, going to be the perfect addition to Brother Wilson's life. She is a great young lady, prayerful, and just a sweet spirit, and we're glad to have them here today. Brother Wilson, why don't you come and greet us, sing, preach, whatever you want to do. I didn't know he was coming today, or I probably would have had him preach. Uh, I knew about 45 minutes ago, and by then I already got today's message in my spirit, so I got to go ahead and deliver it. Otherwise, my wife's going to say, shut up, I don't want to hear you preaching at me. So I got to preach to somebody today. Praise the Lord, everybody. I, di I didn't tell pastor on purpose just in case he tried to have me preach. I just want to come and hear him preach this morning. So it's such an honor to be here back at home at Living Hope. Amen. And so uh, thankful that the Lord is still on the throne. I don't know about you, but my faith was just built by what Brother Roberts just said. We're not like everybody else. Amen. I think about an instance um, about, I guess it was a couple of months ago now, I was in a service, uh, one of those services where uh, it feels like just nothing's going on, Pastor. Like, like as much as you try to push, there's just not a lot happening. And I remember getting to the altar call and still feeling in my spirit that God wanted to do something. God wanted to fill somebody with the Holy Ghost, and so we made a push at the altar call, had people come up to the front. And it just seemed like everyone was distracted. Yet I felt this push in my spirit. Somebody needs the Holy Ghost. And so we went through repentance. We went through what you needed to do to be filled with the baptism of the Holy Ghost. And nothing happened. 
and I felt like a complete and total failure, like an idiot. Like, man, I I got up here, I'm preaching faith. Somebody's going to get the Holy Ghost, and nobody got it. But how many know that when we cannot see, God is still working and moving behind the scenes? I like the way the song says that even when I can't see it, he's working. Even when I can't feel it, he's working. Because he never stops working. Amen. And so I was kind of down in the dumps, felt, felt kind of silly. I got an email from uh, someone from the staff of that church uh, a couple of days later. He said, Brother Wilson, you know that service you were at uh, a few days ago? She said, you know, we, we didn't have anybody receive the Holy Ghost there, she said, but you made a push. She said, she said, I just wanted to encourage you because you may have felt like nothing happened, she said, but something actually did happen. She said, there was a, a young man who was a pastor's son in the area. My pastor knows him. His dad is a pastor. She said he had never received the baptism of the Holy Ghost in his life. Had grown up in church, had been around church his entire life, had prayed, had never received the Holy Ghost. He's a backslider, just walked away from God. She said, but in that service, as you were praying the prayer of faith online and we're, we're leading them through repentance, he was watching online, just happened to come across the service. She said in that service, he lifted up his hands in his living room, began to pray in the name of Jesus and God for the first time in his life filled him with the baptism of the Holy Ghost she said and I'm not talking about just the kind of normal kind she said for hours he spoke in other tongues for the very first time as the Spirit of God gave him the utterance I've come to tell somebody God is still on the throne he's still healing he's still saving he's still delivering so it doesn't matter what you have need of in this place today. All you got to do is just reach out in faith. You may not see anything happening on the surface. You may not feel anything happening. But I can assure you this. When you call on the name of Jesus, something begins to happen. Something begins to change. God will move in your situation. Amen. If you believe that one more time, why don't you clap your hands unto the Lord. Thank you. Something happens when we call on the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. If you could stand with me. Acts chapter 14. And that day when Brother Roberts texted me and started filling me in on some of the funeral specifics. So hold up a second. We're not, we're not there. I said, Brother Roberts, God's not done with you. Amen. This church still needs you. I need you. Amen. This church needs you. And I'm glad that Brother Roberts got that fight in his spirit. And I think maybe perhaps a little bit of an inspiration for what I want to preach today. Acts chapter 14, verse 19. There came thither certain Jews from Antioch and Iconium who persuaded the people and having stoned Paul, drew him out of the city, supposing he had been dead. Howbeit, as the disciples stood round about him, he rose up and he came into the city. Amen. I want to read that portion of verse 20 again. Howbeit, as the disciples stood round about him, he rose up and came into the city. Isaiah chapter 50 and verse number 7. For the Lord God will help me. Amen. For the Lord God will. How many of you feel that today? The Lord God. The nurse may not understand it. She might think that, that we need the ventilator, but the Lord God will help me. 
Whatever situation you might be in right now, the rest of the world may not get it, but our help comes from the Lord. For the Lord, God will help me. Therefore, shall I not be confounded. To be confounded means I don't have a clue. I don't know what to do. I don't have an, any idea of what to do. But because God is my help, I will. as long as we remember that, we can never find ourselves in a place that we don't know there's a next move we can make. Therefore, because I have that kind of understanding that God is with me, have I set my face like a flint, and I know that I shall not be ashamed. Amen. The Lord bless you. I want to preach for just a few minutes, hours, weeks. Amen. I don't, I'm not, my most long-winded sermon is not really long-winded, but I want to preach for just a little bit today. The face of a fighter. Amen. Therefore have I set my face like a flint, and I know I shall not be ashamed. The Lord bless you. Amen. Anybody feel like that? Anybody ever felt like that guy? Not, not, the, not the guy with the glove on, the other guy with the mouthpiece flying out the side of his head. In the sport of prize boxing, there are many attributes and elements that differentiate a pretender from a contender, a puncher from a fighter, a wannabe from a winner, and a chump from a champ. There are many attributes that have to be present if you're going to be a real contender, JB. You got you got to brush up on these things, all right? While the obvious quality of a champion fighter is the ability to pack a punch. I think we all understand that. If you're going to be a boxer, you got to be able to pack a punch. Amen. You got to know how to throw a jab or a hook or an uppercut. You got to, you got to have an arsenal of punches that you can throw. But a champion fighter must be able to do more than just throw haymakers. Remember seeing somebody just come out swinging with all they got, and the next thing you know, they're visiting Mr. Sandman. Factoring into the punching prowess of these prize fighters is not only their power, but also the quickness and the precision of the punches that are thrown. It is, in fact, possible for a prize fighter to win a fight without ever even hurting their opponent. You can, you can beat that opponent without ever hurting them. As long as you land punches in strategic places, every time you do, you get a point. Another necessary skill that separates contenders from pretenders is their ability to defend themselves. Being able to both duck and dodge as well as block punches that come their way. A fighter that can throw a punch but can't stop one is likely headed for a short career. Of course, there are other essential abilities that fighters must possess in order to ascend in the ranks of fighting. They must have endurance. Many of the title fights are 12 rounds. I know you might think, oh, I could do that. I don't know that I could do what they do if there was not another guy in the ring with me. I've have anybody ever tried to jump rope for three minutes at a time? All right. I, I don't need there to be another fighter. I'd probably get TKO'd all by myself about the fourth round. But many of these fights are 12 rounds, with each round lasting three minutes. That's 36 minutes of being in the ring with somebody that wants nothing more than to take your head off of your shoulders. However, one of the greatest intangibles that, must, that, that might dead end the career of an otherwise dominant fighter is the face of a fighter. What do you do when the enemy squares up, when your hands are down? When your opponent beats you to the punch, gets you with your guard down and lands 
an uppercut or a hook flesh on your face? Can you take a licking and keep on ticking? Can you stay on your feet when you take a punch that you never saw coming? Or even of greater importance, can you get back up when you've been knocked down? Those that may excel in every other area, they may have a great uppercut or a hook or, or perhaps they can land a haymaker. Or they've got the ability to dodge and weave and, and block every punch that comes their way. But those that may excel in every other area, but they can't take a punch. And in the sport of boxing, they would say that they have a glass jaw. While those it seems like you, you could hit them with a sledgehammer. And they just won't give up. Brother James, I just have a, a feeling that if somebody were to walk up and hit you with a chair, you'd stare at him. You just look like that kind of guy. Right? You ever seen those guys? Like you, you hit them with a, you know, a horseshoe in the head and they just look at you. That's when you turn around and run because what are you going to do after that? But, but in boxing, these people that you hit them with, every, you can hit them in the forehead with a sledgehammer and they just stand there and look at you. These men, are they say that they have an iron chin. So those that can't take a punch, they say that they have a glass jaw, but those, no matter how hard you hit them, they just keep on getting back up. And I would take your imagination to Rocky Balboa, right? That, that Russian hits him as hard as he can, and Rocky spins around and falls down and jumps back up again. That's, an, that's what an iron chin looks like. Mike Tyson once famously stated, everybody has a plan until they get punched in the face. Fighters that may excel in other areas, perhaps punchers that possess both speed and power, fighters that can shake and bake, bob and weave, they can dance like a butterfly and sting like a bee, but if they can't take a punch, they're going to visit the Sandman, and they're not going to make it. When I was a kid, Nintendo released one of the greatest boxing games of all time, Mike Tyson's Punch-Out. And the very first opponent that you would face was the very unimposing fighter. And this guy is not me. I know there's a resemblance. By the name of Glass Joe. I've got a picture of Glass Joe, I think. There we go. There's Glass Joe. Pardon the immodesty, but that, I tried to, that's the best I could get. Joe, Glass Joe embodied the elements of a fighter that didn't belong among the elites, mainly for the reason that Glass Joe could not take a punch. If you, if you stood there, Glass Joe would get a hold of you and he'd take you down. He could hit you now. But, but, but Glass Joe, if you just gave him one good uppercut, Glass Joe was finished. If you just gave him one hook to the jaw, Glass Joe was down and out. But the last fighter that you would come up against in that game was Iron Mike, none other than Mike Tyson himself. And if, if you could, by some chance, let's bring, I think we got a picture of Mike in, in that boxing match. How have you ever made it to face Mike? And if you could, some of you are like, you young, you young bucks are like, we've never, those graphics don't even look good. Well, you ain't going to find a better game anyway. So laugh at our graphics all you want, but we still got the best game. But you could hit Iron Mike with a, I mean, you could, you could uppercut him, you could jab him, you could, you could hook him, you could, you could put a haymaker on Iron Mike, and he would just stand there with that gap there in between his teeth and just blink at you. He would just blink at He would go unfazed. His head would barely even move. Unlike Joe, who withered from a right hook to his glass jaw, Iron Mike had a chin made of iron. It was impossible to beat Mike Tyson without a cheat code. 
up, up, down, down, left, right, left, right, B-A, start. Some of you were doing it with me. You had your thumb left, up, up, down, down, left, right, left, right, B-A. Contra to all the games, that was the, that was the cheat code. But only with that cheat code that I think in Mike Tyson, that code gave you invincibility. You could keep getting back up how many ever times. That's the only way that you could beat Mike Tyson. The face of the fighter separates the champs from the chumps. You may have the greatest punch. You may be able to dodge and weave. But what separates the best from the rest is what do you do when the enemy sneaks one past your guard? What do you do when you are looking for a jab, but instead the enemy gives you a hook? How do you respond? when your mouthpiece goes flying and your teeth get rattled. I want to know what do you do when the enemy gets you, when he gets you by surprise, when you find yourself on your back. What do you do? Do you get back up again or do you throw in the towel? I'm talking to some people here today that in the last few weeks, the enemy got a jab past your guard. He got a hook that you were looking for, and you found your faith was rattled. But what makes the difference is not the power of your punch, but what kind of chin do you have? What kind of jaw do you have? Are you able to get back up and declare to the enemy, rejoice not against me, oh my enemy, because when I fall... Living hope, I know as a church, uh, we got knocked down a few weeks ago, but I came today to let the enemy know uh, we're not giving up. We're not throwing in the towel. We're not going to stop worshiping God the way we always have. We're not going to quiet down. We're not going to settle down. We're going to keep on giving God praise. Some of you need to do something today to let the enemy know he may have got that shot in on you. He may have got the best of you, but he hasn't seen the end of you. Hallelujah. Come on, the face of a fighter. In the book of Acts chapter 14, Paul and Barnabas face this test of which I refer to today I could call it the test of the jaw. They're confronted and confounded with the king of all uppercuts, the supreme sucker punch. If we look at Acts chapter 14 and we would begin in verse 8, we would find that it looks like the round, Brother Trey, is going pretty well for old Paul and Barnabas. That, the, that this particular round that they are in, I'm using boxing terminology when I say round, but they're doing pretty good. They've got the upper hand, they're winning. Starting in verse 8, Paul and Barnabas are ministering in the cities of Lustra and Derbe. Now, I know that I, I, I messed up and listened to the actual Hebrew pronunciation. And I, normally I would say Lystra and Derby, but I, I, I messed up and read the, the Hebrew pronunciation, so I'm going to have to try it anyway. Their ministry is off to an incredible start, as in verse 8, Paul speaks a word of faith to a man that is crippled. And immediately the man begins leaping and walking. It's not like that service that we've all been in that Brother Wilson described where we pray and we speak words of faith and, and we speak words of healing and miracles and nothing happens. We've been in those services where we felt like nothing happened. This is not one of those. This is like the last, how do you remember the last time we were together? Remember the power that was in the baptized three in the name of Jesus? 
sinners running to an altar of repentance. Y'all remember that? People running to an altar seeking the Lord. And that, that is the atmosphere that Paul and Silas are in. Immediately, they speak a word of faith to this man. They don't even have to pray for him. They just speak a word of faith in this man who has already been conditioned. The Bible says he has heard Paul. He's listened to Paul's preaching. And if you know, the Bible says that a preach, uh, the teaching, the preaching of the word of good profits you nothing if your listening is not mixed with faith. In other words, if you're listening to me right now and, and, and the words I'm declaring to you are just for entertainment factor in your life, if you're just listening maybe to find pastor, make a mistake, or mispronounce lustra, or, 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 or any of the other words I might try to pronounce today, if the word is not mixed with faith, it profits you nothing. But on the other side of that coin, if one word is spoken and you mingle that word with faith, it profits you everything. It has the ability to give you power. It has the ability to give you victory. It has the the ability to put the enemy under your feet. I know if you're watching or listening online today, I would tell you receive the word of the Lord today and mix that word of God with faith today. Amen. You need to get the face of a fighter today. You need to mix your faith today with the word of God and serve notice to the enemy. I may not have the best power punch. I may not dodge with the best of them, but one thing I can determine is you cannot knock me down enough times for me to stay there. I will keep getting back back up immediately sister Lawrence I love those immediate works immediately that man jumps up the Bible says he begins leaping amen somebody read that for me verse 8 of Acts 14 we'll get interactive today somebody read verse 8 brother Josh you feel like reading today Yeah, read, read it for it. James, you got it? All right, go ahead. Go ahead. Everybody read it together. Trio, choir. Go ahead. Never walked. Go ahead. One more. Perceiving had faith. Go ahead. What did he do first? This man had never walked in his life, but he said, you know what? I know I could start off walking, but I'm going to skip walking, and I'm just going to start leaping. Amen. Now, what kind of immediate work of God is that? I know there's people in this building today, you may have never received the Holy Ghost. You may have never envisioned yourself living for the Lord. Today is a great day to just start leaping. Today is a great day to grow by leaps and bounds. I believe in this last day that we are in, God is going to start doing a work that people are going to grow by leaps and bounds. They're not going to start walking. They're going to start leaping. Amen. Immediately, the man begins leaping and walking. Because, yes, we can leap, but we also have to have the walk. And the response of the people of the city is, I mean, it's every preacher's dream to some extent. Because after they see Paul and Barnabas speak the word of faith and the man is healed, the response of the people, and this is not what every preacher's dream is, but they begin to ascribe to Paul and Barnabas that they are gods. 
what every preacher's dream is that the people respect from the people and the people respect what you're saying that they see the miracle of God and they respect that but the people respond by looking at Paul and Barnabas and they they say these men must be gods in fact they call Barnabas Jupiter and they call Paul Mercurius they begin they call them by the names of Greek gods and they begin to prepare the bible says they began to prepare to offer sacrifices unto them. It's all right. Okay, babies have been out of church for three weeks too. They're like, you know what? Last week we were watching online. It was okay if we screamed. It's still okay. And they're, they're babies. They do what babies do. It's fine. Paul and Barnabas, they called them by the names of Greek gods and they began to prepare to offer sacrifices unto them. The highest of esteem. They're looking at Paul and Barnabas because they watched them do this great miracle and they begin to ascribe unto them the names of Greek gods. The people hold them in such high esteem that Paul, the Bible says, Paul and Barnabas run among the people and they begin to beg and plead with the people. Please don't offer sacrifice unto, unto us. We are not God. Paul has to convince the people that he is a man like they are. Paul begins to, uh, Paul starts confessing. Listen, I, I deal with, I have passions just like you do. Right, I've hit my hand with a thumber before. Uh, no, my thumb with a hammer before. And, and it wasn't glory hallelujah that came out. Paul's down there confessing. I mean, Paul's getting down the nitty gritty because he wants to convince these people, I'm not a God, I'm a regular man just like you. It's not me doing the work, it's God doing the work through me. But the ministry of Paul and Barnabas is exploding. Miracles are taking place. People are, being, are coming to a place of repentance. Amen. Ministry is doing great. Amen. Momentum is building. Miracles are happening. And Paul uses this opportunity to preach a great message of repentance. Revival is imminent. And then, like a right hook that's been hidden by a left jab, a haymaker that Paul and Barnabas never saw coming. In one moment, everything changes because verse 19 tells us that there come certain Jews from Antioch and Iconium that turned the people against Paul and Barnabas. The same Paul and Barnabas that three, four verses before, the people were calling them gods. Four verses before, Paul is having to, you know, tell terrible confessions to convince them he's not a god. And now these same people that were ready to offer sacrifice unto Paul and Barnabas, the Bible says they begin stoning Paul and Barnabas and they, they, the only reason they stop is because they suppose that Paul is dead. He said he's dead. Why, why keep on stoning him? He's already dead. And they, the Bible says they draw him out of the city and they leave him there thinking that he is dead. The same crowd that had just been convinced that Paul and Barnabas were gods and were offering sacrifices or preparing to offer sacrifices unto them in four verses time. They turn around and they begin stoning them. They beat them so badly. They beat Paul so badly that they suppose that he is dead. The same crowd, the same crowd that just a few verses before were offering to worship him as a god now beat him so mercilessly that the only reason they stopped beating him is because they believe that he, I don't think Paul and Barnabas saw that coming. I think they believe revival is here. Miracles are happening. The faith of the people is high. Repentance is taking place. And just like three weeks ago in this room, the momentum was high. Great things are happening. We're, we're getting ready to see a move of God. 
And then out of nowhere, the enemy hits Paul and Silas with a sucker punch that they never saw coming. And what do you do in your life when you're in a verse 19 circumstance where things turn in a moment and you and things that you didn't even see coming without any notice and now the same circumstance that seemed to be so favorable for you is now devastatingly against you. Living hope, can you take a punch? I know we can worship on Easter Sunday when there's 220 in the house. I know we can worship on Easter Sunday when nobody's had COVID since August and everybody's feeling good. I know, I I saw you do it three weeks ago, but what can you do three weeks later after we haven't been together? And there's been an outbreak and people have been dealing with, hey, what can you take a punch? I know you know the word of God. I know you know how to throw an uppercut. But what I'm asking you today is can you take a punch? What kind of jaw do you have? What kind of jaw do you have? I know that you can knock the enemy down, but can you get back up? Paul, what do you do when they stone you and the only reason they stop is because they thought you were dead? What do you do when that's over, Paul? Child of God, what do you do when the enemy sticks a punch past your guard? Living hope, what will we do? Three weeks ago, we had the largest, greatest crowd we've had in over a year. Altars filled with people repenting. Three baptizing, and and by the way, I don't apologize for anything we did on Easter Sunday. I don't apologize for any of it. If if we'd have baptized one person, it was worth everything we did three weeks ago. But, But what do you do when it feels like momentum is building, and then all of a sudden, in a moment, without so much as a warning, the adversary sneaks in an uppercut that you never saw coming. What do you do? How will you respond? Are you Glass Joe, or are you Iron Mike? Can you take a punch? Do you throw in the towel? Do you lay there while the referee counts to 10, or do you get back up again? I don't think it's any accident that three weeks ago, the last time we were together, we were preaching about the one who resurrected from the dead. We were celebrating the ultimate uppercut when the enemy enemy landed a right cross on the humanity of Jesus Christ and he was laid in a borrowed tomb. But he didn't stay there, did he? Our Jesus ain't no glass Joe. No, 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 no. Every other human being has gone the same way Jesus Christ went. But the only difference between Jesus and everybody else is that Jesus doesn't have a glass jaw because three days later the referee had counted and he thought it was over. But Jesus got up out of that grave. He got up to fight another fight. Amen. He got up triumphant over death, hell, and the grave. And we celebrate the iron jaw of a Savior who got up again. That's what we preached about three weeks ago. But today I'm not here to preach about a Savior who got up. I'm here to ask you, will you get up? What will you do? What will I do? What will we as a congregation do? My Bible tells me that the same Spirit 
that raised Christ from the dead is the same spirit that quickens our mortal bodies. That's not just talking about the rapture. That's not just talking about when he quickens the, the church out of the world. It's talking about the ability to, for you to stand up again when the enemy's giving you a right hook. It's talking about the ability for you to stand up when depression is taking the wind out of your sail. It's talking about the ability for you to rise up and rejoice in the God of your salvation when it feels like your world is falling apart. It's one thing when momentum is in the building and miracles are happening. The lame are being made to walk. God is using you so powerfully that you have to actually work to convince people that you don't walk on water. I thank God you all know better than with your pastor I don't walk on water. You have to work to convince people that you're just a human being. God is using you so powerfully. It's easy to stand up when the atmosphere is like that, but it's another thing when you're laying on the canvas and your brain is just being crashed against the, the wall of your cranium. That's what a concussion is. Your brain is rattled and computer gets reset by the left hook. When you're laying there considering, if I stay down, I don't have to go through that no more. If I stay down, Iron Mike won't hit me anymore. If I stay down, I don't have to worry about, if we just, if we just take it easy, Pastor, let's just chill out. I mean, Pastor, we, you know what we went through? We just need to chill out. Pastor, do you finally get the point, Pastor, that it's time for us to chill out? If you're waiting on me to get that point, you're in the wrong church. I'm not going to get that point. We're not going to chill out. We're not going to settle down. We're not going to back down. We're not going to quit. We're not, we're not going to stop worshiping. I'm not going to stop preaching. We're not going to stop praising. We're not going to stop magnifying God. We're not going to stop doing any of that. And I know... After that shot that we took a few weeks ago, it would be easy. After I got a text message from one of my best friends and our assistant pastor planning his funeral, it would be easy for me to say, you know what, maybe we've gone too far. Maybe we've been pushing too hard. Maybe it's time we chill out. If we just lay here on the canvas, just allow 10 people in at a time and have a little... We'll do 10 little services where I speak a blessing over you and then we'll let the next 10 in and do a blessing over them. And the that's, that's not apostolic church. So what do you do? More pointedly, what should you do? Well, what did Paul do? Let's look at the example of Paul. How does Paul respond in Acts chapter 14 after a wicked right cross from a crowd that he had just had to convince that he was not a God and now that same crowd when Paul brought his guard down brought a hook upside his head. What did he do when they had beaten him and bloodied him to a point that the Bible says they supposed him to be dead? Acts 14 and 19, and having stoned Paul, they drew him out of the city, supposing he had been dead. Verse 20, how be it? As the disciples stood round about him, the next three words, what does Paul do? He rose up. Let me tell you what you need to do right now. You need to get back up again. Let me tell you what I need to do right now. I need to get back up again. Let me tell you what this church needs to do right now. We need to get back up again. 
I didn't say we weren't beaten. I didn't say we weren't bloodied. I, I didn't say we haven't been through it. But I've got one choice. I, I've got one opportunity. I, and I'm going to get back up on my feet once again. How be it? How be it? What a, what a obscure, just kind of a, we don't use, I don't know, maybe you use how be it in your English vocabulary. Maybe, maybe you, that's a part of your everyday conversation that, you know, you and your wife are talking about what you're going to have for dinner. And she says, hey, I want Longhorn. And you say, well, how be it? What if, how be it we go over to, to Outback? I don't even know if it fits in. I don't even know how to put it. It's such a word that I don't use. How be it? How be it? The original Greek word that is used that we translated into how be it in the English is simply a connector word. It's a word that connects what did happen in the previous verse with what's about to happen in the ensuing verse. In our language, we would use words such as and or but or if. These are words that talk about what happened and what's about to happen. And we link them together by these conjunctive words. However, Howbeit is not just any connector word. It is a word of extreme contrast. In other words, what is about to happen in verse 20 is not at all what you expect to happen after you read verse 19. After I read verse 19, and the same crowd that Paul has just ministered to stones him until they suppose him to be dead, what I expect to read next is that Paul retires from the ministry, that Paul says, I'm throwing in the towel. I'm tired of ministering to fickle people people I mean, I, what else do you call those people I mean I, I just healed the dude and everybody's wanting to call me a god and four verses later they're throwing rocks at my forehead I, I don't know I, I call that fickle you can call that what you want but I call that fickle that's what I expect to read next. If I'm reading through this and I don't know the end of the story, and as I read what Paul has been through, what I expect to read is that Paul is retiring, that Paul is resigning. At the very least, I just expect to Paul to lay there on the canvas, maybe to retire back to Jerusalem and find the house of some disciple that he can be comforted and cared for in. But that's not what Paul does it. How be it? Paul says, I know this is what you expect me to do, but I didn't come to do what you expect me to do I came to do something on the contrary I came to do something that I know what the enemy is expecting me to do I know what the enemy is expecting you to do I know what the enemy is expecting this church to do but how be it we're not going to do what the devil thought we were going to do devil if you thought our worship was something four weeks ago you ain't seen anything yet If you thought it was wild a living hope a month ago, you ain't seen what it's going to be like next month. Miracles are coming. Signs are coming. Wonders are on their way. We're not giving up. Come on, living hope. We're not giving up. Some of you need to get a how be it in your spirit. Some of you came to church today and you're behaving exactly like the devil thought you would. You need to get a how be it in your spirit. I wish somebody do something right now that's the last thing in the world the devil expects you to do. I know you're discouraged. I know you're depressed. I know you're going through it. But I wonder can somebody get a how be it in your spirit? What kind of jaw do you have? Can you take a punch? Can you get back up?
Come on, Paul. How be it he rose up again? How be it he rose up? Pastor, you don't understand what's going on in my marriage. How be it? Don't do what the enemy thinks you're going to do. Get a how be it in your spirit. How be it? He rose up. We celebrate. We celebrate the resurrection of our Savior from the dead. We do. Three weeks ago we did it. And we should do it more than just Easter Sunday. Without the resurrection of our Savior. Without Jesus Christ overcoming death, hell, and the grave. Everything we're doing is a waste of time. It's the reason that we do everything that we do. Because Jesus is victorious. And so we celebrate the resurrection of the dead. But what about the resurrection of the living? Sometimes it's easier to rise again from the dead than it is to rise again from life. I just want you to think about that. 1 Thessalonians 4 and 16, For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with the shout, with the voice of the archangel, with the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. The dead in Christ shall rise first. On that day, when the Lord descends from heaven with a shout, the dead in Christ shall rise first. And then verse 17 tells us, and then those that are alive and remain. Because sometimes it's easier to rise again from the dead than it is to rise again from life. Amen. Sometimes it's, there, there have been times in the last year that I prayed, God, just take me home. I'm not, I don't, I'm not talking about being suicidal. I just want out of this crazy world. God, just put, put me six feet under, and, 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 and then when that trumpet sounds, I, I'll be the first one out of the grave because it, sometimes I know in this life it's easier to overcome life or death rather than it is to get up from life. But Sunday after Sunday when you walk in the house of God and there's trouble all around you and problems in your mind and you're perplexed and you're depressed and you're discouraged and you're dealing with anxiety, sometimes it's harder to get up from life than it is to get up from death. See, when you're dead, you can't talk yourself out of getting up. And when you're dead, I mean, it don't get no worse than dead. So you're like, hey, anything's better than this. When you're dead, all those limits. Anybody ever, the preacher's preaching and God's speaking hope and inside of your brain, every time the preacher says God can, there's a little scud missile shooting it down and remind you all the reasons God can't. Oh, I'm the only one. All right. Anybody? Right, the, the faith is being spoken. People around you are getting breakthrough and miracle, and your little mind is in there with with missiles just shooting down. Every right, as soon as your mind begins to believe that you can, all of a sudden this other thought pops up and says, "You can't. God can't do it. You can't be victorious. Your marriage can't be successful. Your children won't live for God." The enemy is why? Because that's what happens in life. We have the ability to talk ourselves out of a resurrection as long as we're living. But when life hits you and you're laying on the canvas wondering is it worth it even trying to get up again I, I wish I could just stay here and lay here until life is all over again do I really want to get up and run into those heavy hands again 
See, sometimes life is heavy-fisted. Sometimes life comes at you in ways you weren't expecting. And it lands punches on you that you didn't see coming. You didn't have time to get your guard up. There was no time to dance like a butterfly. And yes, I have faith and I have confidence in the resurrection of the dead that one day every believer is going to rise again. But my question today is not do you have faith in the resurrection of the dead, but do you have faith for the resurrection of the living some of you have been knocked down but I've got faith that you can get up again some of you have been bloodied and beaten but I have faith I'm not waiting for the resurrection of the dead I'm not waiting for a trumpet to sound I'm going to get up right now I'm going to get back in the fight right now Hallelujah. Can we raise our hands right now? I feel the Holy Ghost. Some of you, the enemy supposes you are dead. The enemy knows he landed such a flush punch on you. The enemy knows your faith has been rattled. The enemy knows that he got you. You you were blindsided by that last attack. You didn't even see it coming. And your faith has been shaken. And your hope has been depleted. And the enemy supposes that you are dead. I wonder what you do next matters. What you do right now matters. What you do in this next step matters. What you do right now, you need to be like Paul and say, I can either lay here and die or I can rise up. Yeah, living hope, if we want to, we can throw in the towel and become just like every other dead church. Listen, every dead church was once a live church. But the enemy, somewhere along the way, the enemy got a sucker punch. It may have been a moral failure in the ministry of that church. Somewhere, if you look back at every dead church somewhere in their history, something took place where the church decided we'll just stay on the canvas. I don't care if it's coronavirus or moral failure in the ministry. The enemy is just looking for that sucker punch that he can turn a living church into a dead church. But we've got to determine today we're getting back up and we're not dying. We're not staying on the canvas. Our worship is not going to be less than it used to be. Our praise is not going to be less than it used to be. You've got to get the face of a fighter. I'm almost done. Look at what Paul does next. You can remain standing. The next day. Everybody say the next day. Verse 20. The next day. I mean, Paul... Brother Roberts, I personally would have liked you to stay home today. Honestly, I would have because I'd have liked to have seen you recover. I'm glad you're here. Don't get me wrong. But, man, when he walked in today, I was like, wow, this, this guy's the real deal. I mean, a week ago, we weren't sure. I, mean, I, I knew I'd have him in church again, but I, I was hoping this way. And look, he just walked into church on a Sunday. What a testimony. And Paul, Paul's in bad shape. I mean, I, there's different thoughts about what stoning looked like. Some believe it was picking up rocks and pelting them. There's other beliefs that it was taking heavy rocks and just dropping them on people. Either way, I vote no. All right, if it's A, B, or C, I'm going with C. 
But Paul is in such bad shape that they thought he was dead. They, they stopped stoning him only because they thought he was dead. And the next day, Brother Scott, the next day, not a week later, not after he went back to Jerusalem and went to the Bush family cookout and got some good food, macaroni and cheese from Sister Angelita and some of that potato salad, Lavetta and Tear, she brought some cheesecake to the party. No, Paul didn't go to the, 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 the Memorial Day cookout. The ne- everybody say the next day. The next day, Paul travels with Barnabas to Derbe. And softball and baseball, when I used to play, they would say when that ball takes a bad bounce and catches you in the face, Sister Angelique, they told me, don't rub it. Don't rub it. You can't let anybody know you got hurt. Right, if you rub it, if you acknowledge if you take time to acknowledge the pain, the next time the ball comes, you're going to find yourself moving and, and the, the ball's going to get past you. Because you can't let what happened to you develop a flinch in your spirit. Coach, am I right? If you get a good hit on the football field, you can't go to the sideline. you got to stay in the game. Because if, if you do that, if every time you take a hit, you run to the sideline, you're going to get afraid of the hit. And you're not going to be effective to your team. you got to stay in the game. You, listen, you cannot walk by faith and take steps in fear. You, you can't do it. You cannot take, you can't say, well, I'm walking by faith, but I need to take a few steps out of fear. You cannot do it. You either walk by faith or you walk by fear. It's one or the other. And I know that there are a lot of different opinions floating around in our world with everything going on this pandemic. They got vaccine or no vaccine, mask, all kinds of different opinions. I'm not here today to weigh in on what you need to do, but what I am here today to tell you is whatever steps you take have got to be steps of faith. Whatever you do next cannot be a step in fear because if you begin to take steps in fear, the next thing you know, you're going to be walking in fear. We walk by faith and not by sight. The next day, Paul, those disciples, the Bible says the disciples are standing around and Paul gets up. I think all of them did what we did when Brother Roberts walked in today. Probably what Sister Roberts did this morning when he said, I'm going to church. Maybe maybe next Sunday. What's that? We're going. She said, we're going. All right. She didn't do it, but they did. And then Paul, what does he do the next day? No doubt his face disfigured. I mean, they supposed he was dead. Not they thought Paul had a sprained ankle. They thought he was dead. They had beaten the man so badly they thought he was dead. And the next day, Paul says, Barnabas, come on, we're going to Derbe. There are people there that need the gospel preached unto them. I think Barnabas is saying, Paul, just let's give it a few days for you to recover. Let's just wait a little while before we get back to normal. Let's, let's just wait a little while before we do what we usually do. And then after a little while, when we see that things have settled down, then we can go to Derbe. What does Paul do after Derbe? He comes right back to Lystra. He comes right back to the same place that they had beaten him until they thought he was dead. He goes right back to the same city where the people in four verses turned on him. He goes right back to the same place and says, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to take another punch. You know what I'm going to do? I'm going to get back in the ring again because God is bringing a revival to this city. And revival can't be won if I'm sitting on the sidelines. 
Living Hope, I know you just got punched in the face, but it's time to let the devil know I've got the face of a fighter. I'm setting my face like flint. Devil, you got me wrong if you thought I had a glass jaw. You know what we're going to do? We're going to have church like we've always had church. In fact, we're going to have church better than we've ever had church. We're going to worship like we've always worshiped. Raise your hands with me all across this building. Brother Roberts, thank you for fighting. Thank you for that powerful testimony you shared today. I believe that testimony is going to get into the DNA of this church. And I believe that was a metaphor for what this church is about to do. That the nurse has walked in and said, hey, Living Hope, we're going to have to put you on a ventilator for a little while until, until we get all this stuff figured out and we'll figure out how we can have church and be safe at the same time I, th I think that's what's happening in the spirit realm uh, but I believe today that this church is going to get in its DNA the same thing uh, that was in the DNA of Brother Roberts in that hospital you don't understand I'm not like the rest of this world I've got to walk by faith I got to walk by faith I got to walk by faith take me back right back to Lystra take me right back to the altar take me right back into the presence of God Across this room, I want us to raise our hands together. What kind of what kind of face do you have? There's no room, no room in the kingdom for glass jaws. If it ain't this, it'll be something else that the enemy figures out. He can rock your faith. If you got a glass jaw, you may survive this, but sooner or later the enemy's gonna figure out the key to getting you to stay on the canvas. So right now in the midst of this storm, you need to raise your hands and declare, I'm going to get up again. I'm going right back to Lystra. I'm going right back. I'm getting right back in the ring. I'm going to fight another round. Living hope, I still believe our greatest revival is ahead of us. If you're in this building today, I'm going to tell you what gives us the ability to overcome. It's the same spirit that was in Christ. If you're here today and you don't have the Holy Ghost, I want to tell you the best decision you can do today is to repent of your sins and allow the Lord to fill you with this spirit. I pray in the Holy Ghost right now that God would give you the strength to rise up again. I know the enemy sucker punched you. I know not just through this virus, but I know some of you have gone through things. I know some of you walked in here today hurting because of what you've been through. And I know the enemy is watching right now to see what kind of jaw do you have. Are you going to lay there on the canvas and just wait for the referee to count down to 10? Are you just going to wait for the resurrection of the dead? Or is there something rising up in your spirit right now that says rejoice not against me, oh my enemy? You knocked me down, but you didn't defeat me. Our world needs a church that believes in the power of God. 
Our world doesn't need a dead church that's been depleted by the adversary. It needs a living, live, faith-filled, fire-filled, Holy Ghost-filled church. I need somebody to get some resurrection power in your spirit right now, not not the resurrection of the dead, the resurrection of the living. God is here today to give you power. God is here today to give you victory over what you're going through. Momentum, miracles happening in the enemy. A blind side punch. I want us to pray right now. In the name of Jesus, I pray, Lord, over this couple. I pray. building today and you feel like you're on the canvas of life like you've been knocked down by a circumstance you didn't even see coming that you thought was going to turn out differently than it did but you find yourself on the canvas I want to ask you please don't just wait for the resurrection of the dead don't just throw in the towel and say well I just just want to be ready when Jesus comes that's all I'm just living for the rapture and I'm not again we want to be ready for the rapture that's the main thing but God's not through working in your life 
If you're here today in this building and you feel like you're on the canvas, I wonder, could you raise a hand right now? I want to pray for you. I want to pray specifically for you. Anybody? Hallelujah. Sometimes it is easy to start on your destination without knowing the exact path that it takes to get there. To get to our destination, we need to follow the one who knows our predestined path. Be sure to subscribe and watch us every Sunday at 11 a.m. Eastern Standard Time. Also, visit us at www.livinghopemd.com. I'm going to wait on you, Jesus. I'm going to wait on you, Jesus.